Welcome to Day 190 of Shaped by the Word, Season 2, The Drama of Scripture. Uh, we followed the story of Israel from uh, their ignoble beginning, where they take the promised land and soon uh, kind of deteriorate into a people who did what was right in their own eyes, who desired a kingdom like the rest of the nations, uh, and uh, certainly got that in Saul. And then we find David, who is a, a, a brilliant, bright spot in this, and his son Solomon, who brings uh, Israel to the prominence you know, in both its wealth and the extension of its borders. But we soon see the nation crumbling after that. No sooner is Solomon uh, passed off the scene than the nation divides in two. And so you have the southern and the northern tribes. You have the tribe of Judah. Then you have uh, the ten, uh, ten tribes. Ten tribes immediately uh, start to create their own system of worship uh, so that their people will not go back to Judah and not be drawn back into uh, you know, the heart of the nation, and uh, the nation slowly crumbles. So we come to a point where we see both nations, both Judah and Israel, uh, slowly moving away from God and slowly moving into God's judgment. There are a few uh, bright spots in Judah. Uh, there's uh, no bright spots at all uh, in the nation of Israel. So we come today in our reading through Kings. Uh, we're skipping through several chapters. We're in Second Kings uh, we come to the demise of the nation of Israel, which will later in the New Testament become uh, the Samaritans. Uh, they'll be taken out of the land of Israel. They will become a mixed race of people. They will not be able to define their heritage, nor will they turn immediately to the worship of the Lord. So there's a real tension by the time we come to Jesus between those who are Jews and those who are Samaritans, or between the old nation of Judah and the old nation of Samaria. So we come to the tragic end of the ten tribes, uh, or the nation of Samaria, in Second Kings chapter 17. As we do that, uh, as always, we uh, offer ourselves and we offer this moment uh, to the Lord. So I'm Paul Kemp here with Matthew Kresge and uh, David Keefe, who is particularly irreverent today, so we'll hope we get something good out of him, and to Kitty Kresge, who has been encouraging uh, David Keefe. So we'll just see what happens in all of this. Matt, I'm going to ask you to pray uh, in light <laughs> of, everything, of else that's, everything else that's going on around the table. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace and, and this time together as your people to hear from you uh, in your word, to respond to you in obedience and in worship. And, and Father, to have our, our hearts filled, um, we, we recognize, Father, that our our sinfulness, brokenness, our emptiness um, in, in many ways as we've been reading through the story uh, of your people, uh, we find ourselves right there in the midst of them. Um, and so, Father, we, we look forward to um, being reminded of, of your grace again today, of being reminded of all you've done in Christ Jesus to rescue us and redeem us as we um, look at the sin of your people and yet at the same time see um, your grace and your power at work. And so, Father, remind our hearts um, and our minds of the gospel today, and um, would we live in it and out of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Second Kings 17, verse 1. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Syria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been Shalmaneser's vessel, and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to sell king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. 
Therefore Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala and Gozan on the Hebar River in the towns of the Medes. All this took place because Israel had sinned against the Lord their God and who had brought them out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices of the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things the Lord their God that were not right. From the watchtower to the fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burnt incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols. The Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I delivered to you through my servants the prophets. They would not listen and were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry host and they worshipped Baal and they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices that Israel had introduced. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam son of Nebat their king. Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence, as he had warned through his servants the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they're still there. And so we were waiting at the end of this a return of the Lord's people to his land and a restoration uh, that will not be fully realized until, you know, Christ comes to uh, renew his people and to restore his covenant and restore his promises and uh, renew the Lord's uh, renew the Lord's reign. So there's a stark picture. Uh, but one of the things you see in this picture, you know, more than anything else, is the Lord's patience and long-suffering. When you read this, you're uh, absolutely blown away by the depths of their sin and how far they had come from the heart of God and from his law and from the worship of God to even the point that the kings are sacrificing sons and daughters in order to appease gods of pagan nations, which God has uh, driven out uh, before them. So it is indeed you know, a dark picture as we come you know, to the uh, demise of the nation, of, uh, the demise of the nation of Israel. I think one of the things that stands out to me is I read this and and think about Israel going into exile and, uh, you know, just the questions surrounding it. You know, at one time we were God's people with God's presence, you know, and, and God's power was continuing, continually on display for all of us to see both in our nation and then, you know, through our nation as well. And now here they find themselves kind of under the, the rule and reign of another ruler and, and you know, 
the author isn't going to let us attribute that to a lack on God's side, you know, mm-hmm. like like God wasn't able to protect them or wasn't able no. to deal mm-hmm. with this nation that had come against them. All of this, verse 7, took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them out, up out of Egypt. And then he goes on and on. But at the heart of it, you know, we're seeing the rebellion of God's people. And, and as we read the story, we're actually going to find out, as you were saying, you know, judgment comes down upon them. Mm-hmm. But mercy and grace is coming, mm-hmm. and you could say this is merciful of God to execute judgment in this. Yeah, moment. his his judgment, you know, his temporal judgment or you know judgment in time and space uh, is, is always you know born of you know born of his mercy, and of course both his uh, his forbearance with us and and his uh, judgment of us is is meant to lead us to a place where we look away from ourselves and and we look you know to him. And see him. So this this is this is sad. And and of course you hear, you hear the echo of Eden. There, I will cast you away from my presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had enjoyed, you know, Adam and Eve had enjoyed the presence of God and unadulterated fellowship with Him, enjoying His blessing and His present, and every good gift that came from His hands. But they uh, chose, uh, you know, to push Him out of their lives and to forge their own identity and reserve the right to choose for themselves what was best and good for them. And they forfeited God's presence, and they forfeited God's blessing. And, of course, the nation of Israel is almost a recreation of Eden, a place where God was present with his people. It's an uncomfortable present. There's distance in the temple. There's distance in the tabernacle. Um, but there is God's presence and God's blessing. And, again, they forfeited both uh, by pursuing the gods of other nations. Yeah. And it's just so easy to, to read passages like this and feel like um, God is being harsh and but he is um, this is a loving act and as a parent you you understand it like I don't know I I understand it a little bit better now as a parent than I used to um, because we know that when our children and we have warned them several times (laughs) we have given them the same warning over and over that the loving thing to do would not just to be to let them do what they want to do. It yeah. is it is um, to help mm. them learn, and um, that they need to face some sort of some sort of discipline and punishment. So it's um, it's harsh, but I I think that one one thing that I'm um, just seeing in all of this is that the author some, it, Matt touched on it is showing us the sovereignty of God because all of this is happening under his command like he is doing all of this and allowing all of this and of course we see in um, the book of isaiah close to the beginning that he's using assyria as a tool in his hand and so assyria of course we'll, we'll see that soon we'll get very prideful about it but assyria is being used as a tool and god is in control in this, this entire time no, God uses our circumstances, He uses our surroundings and all of these to, you know, fulfill His good purposes. But on the one hand, you know, the judgment seems harsh, but on the other hand, when you read this description, mm-hmm. you almost ask yourself the question, why did God wait so long? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've aroused His His anger, and of course His anger or the wrath of God is a, a, a righteous mm-hmm. anger, an anger we'd be in love with if we really understood you know, that it comes from his jealousy for us and his desire for us to have good and best and his opposition to everything that is his good and best, you know, in our lives. And, and, and so we, we, uh, we hate the judgment that comes from God's anger, but we ought to appreciate the jealousy of which that 
anger is born, uh, that he desires the very best for his children. So in our, in our house, we had what we called the law of amplitude. You know, usually we would talk you know, very quietly and very gently and very even-handedly about you know, issues mm-hmm. we were facing in the family. If it wouldn't hurt at that point, uh, you know, the conversation would get a little more animated and the results would get a little more, and then finally you would come to a place where you really would have to. Uh, you know, put your you know put your foot down, mm-hmm. and, and that that's what God has done. But I'm I'm more amazed at His patience yeah. mm. uh, than I am at His judgment. His judgment is is just. Mm-hmm. His patience is, is amazing, mm-hmm. which reminds us, you know, of in, in the book of Romans, you know, that He has been uh, His patience is intended to lead us to repentance and His forbearance and. Uh, what a beautiful picture that is. And, and, and if not, we do, we'll do. we pay the consequences of our sin and even his temporal judgment to get our attention. And uh, certainly that is happening here. And it has happened numerous times, but he still hadn't uh, gotten their attention. And, and of course, David, I so heavily rebuked you at the beginning of the podcast that you just decided to remain quiet. Yeah, I'm just, So why don't I, you close us with a, with a deep insight <laughs> and a prayer? No, it's... When we see through all throughout here, it's... Just another reminder as well that we're never not worshiping. You know, the human heart's always worshiping something. Mm-hmm. And here we see, obviously, they have such misplaced worship. You know, he calls them those worthless idols, even the idols that they make, they made themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, these aren't anything worthy of the worship that they're getting. And they themselves became worthless in that. And no. Just knowing our heart goes after so many things that are so undeserving of our worship. But then we're reminded of, the God of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt, but the God that saved you, who's worthy of your worship, we, we hear who he is, and yet he doesn't get their worship, which is just mm-hmm. obviously very sad. Yeah, it makes me think of Isaiah 46 when it says that the, these people are worshiping idols that they made with their own hands, and but God is a God who made us <laughs> with just a word, and he. so these people are having to carry these idols with them, and they're a burden to them, and God is the one carrying us, and such a picture of how much more powerful He is. Well, you know, it's a devastating line, and you know, in, in a, uh, verse fifteen, they followed worthless idols, and themselves mm-hmm. uh, became worthless. Uh, we we we're, we we come to be a reflection of what we truly worship, and of course, our hope is to be a reflection uh, of this God who, you know stands for fierce righteousness, but also is deeply patient and gracious with us, and uh, so to anger and abounding in love. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Um, when we look at the people of Israel, we're confused and, and don't know what to do with them sometimes, but so often we're looking exactly at ourselves. And so, Father, forgive us for the times our Worship goes to so many things that are so undeserving. And we know that just as you brought the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt and freed them, you have given us such a greater salvation in Christ. You're so deserving of not just worship on Sundays, but a life, a living sacrifice, pleasing to you. So, Father, may you do that great work in us. Help us to behold you, to praise you and to stand in awe of your wonderful salvation in Christ Jesus. We pray it all in his name. Amen. Amen.